Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. You have everybody dearest to you always a hand. I probably never shall again. And therefore, till I have outlived all my affections, a post office, I think, must always have power to draw me out in worse weather than today. Jane Austen, Emma. Letters are among the most significant memorial a person can leave behind them. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Or don't you like to write letters? I do, because it's such a swell way to keep from working and yet feel you've done something. Ernest Hemingway Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette, starting today's podcast with just a few quotes there, highlighting the importance and eternal allure of the written word in the form of letters. A lost art form, some might say, but uh, I'm here to bring it back. (laughs) As many of you know, um, I love letter writing. I try to make it sort of part of what I'm doing here on Born of Wonder. Uh, I I have sent letters back and forth um, with listeners before, um, with Patreon members, I've done that. Uh, I'm sorry if I owe you a letter because there are a few people I owe a letter and I apologize. I am, I have a list, a long list of people I owe uh, owe a letter, but as we are going to talk about today, uh, letters take time and uh, time is in short demand these days, but I think um, letter writing is such a beautiful and important thing. Um, it, it just everything about it. I, I, I think there's there's so much to be valued here, so much to rediscover um, in friendship and in the way we use our time, in the way we write, in how we view memory. There's so much to discuss here. So I will keep the introduction short so we can just launch into this discussion I had with Rachel Sherlock. Uh, My friend who you probably know by now from the Risking Enchantment podcast, she has been on Born of Wonder before where we talked about You've Got Mail, one of my favorite episodes. I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode. And I've been on Rachel's podcast twice now, once to discuss The Godfather and another time to discuss uh, the luminous and numinous, uh, the thin places in the world. I will put a link to those episodes in the show notes as well. Rachel is such a kindred spirit, and I am so thrilled uh, that she came back on the podcast. And as as you all know, I heartily recommend her podcast, Risking Enchantment. This episode came around at just the right time because I have been thinking about Sylvia Plath, as I often do this time of year, uh, the famous poet of the um, haunting aerial poems. I, I've done an episode on her before. Uh, she is someone who has meant a great deal to me uh, over the course of my life, and actually I just wrote recently, reshared uh, an essay uh, that I wrote about why I have mass offered for Sylvia Plath, so you can head on over to Substack to read that. But in any case, as I was thinking about Sylvia, whose birthday is at the end of the month, that's why I'm thinking of her, uh, I picked up her, her letters um, for Christmas a couple of years ago now. Chris got me her 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 full complete letters, uh, which were only just published a few years ago before they were only published, um, in snippets, um, and in a collection called letters home, which were, uh, the letters she wrote to her mother. But, um, now this is the full collection and I have volume one that I've been flipping through and it's a thousand pages. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. This is a large, large book and this is volume, volume one. And the second volume is, uh, just as long. So, um, Yes, letter writing. It's important. (laughs) It's important to people. um, And look at what we leave behind uh, our records. A whole life can be uh, read through somebody's letters, as I'm discovering now, um, reading through Sylvia's letters. Uh, So so I I just hope that this um, gives you some food for thought. Maybe you'll um, strike up an epistolary uh, relationship or just, uh, you know, send a card uh, every now and then. Um, In any case, I think that 
as we discussed, sort of letters are just one way of valuing sort of the physical remnants of our lives, physical um, manifestations uh, of our lives, and that those things are valuable. And letter writing is one way to capture that. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, Find me online, bornofwonder.com. Head on over to Substack. That's where I'm writing away. And uh, thank you so much, as always, for listening. I shared recently the podcast reached an exciting milestone, which is uh, it's over 50,000 downloads now. So thank you. Sincerely, thank you so much for listening. Um, I started this podcast two months before Jojo was born, before my first daughter was born, and we've uh, kept on keeping on, and another baby's here, and life is crazier than ever, and it's still going. So I really, really appreciate every single one of you listening. And uh, it's, it's, it's done amazing things for me in so many ways. And one of the best things it's done is connected me to new friends like Rachel. So I'll stop rambling and let you listen in here on my conversation with Rachel Sherlock. So today on the podcast, I am so thrilled to welcome back Rachel Sherlock, who many of you know from her wonderful podcast, Risking Enchantment. Um, I was on her her show recently. She has been on Born of Wonder before, a very popular episode where we talked about Nora Ephron and You've Got Mail. That's actually, I would recommend maybe re- revisiting that this time of year during fall. But um, as always, it's so nice to have you here, Rachel. It's wonderful to be back. And I was just thinking of you because I just rewatched You've Got Mail. So. <laughs> How many times do you think you've seen it? I, it's got to be like well over like 60, 70 times for me. I don't, I, I, yeah, I didn't have a copy of it until I was a little bit older, but I, yeah, I think I watch it every year. Yeah. Every yeah. Year. yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely always perpetually relevant. Um, love it so much. And actually, it's sort of uh, relevant to today's topic, which is letter mm-hmm. writing. Um, we're going to be talking about, uh, I mean, primarily physical letters, but uh, really that movie is all about an epistolary relationship and the romance of it. I think at one point she even says, you know, oh, we'll just we'll just be like a great, you know, author couple that never actually meets, but we'll write letters our whole lives. Um, there's certain romance to that. Um, but everyone who listens to this podcast know that I love letter writing. Um, it's one of the things I try to uh, encourage people to do and try to bring back. Um, I try to send send letters to my listeners. There are a few listeners that I have a epistolary relationship with. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've just always loved letter writing. I will admit that I can be a um, intermittent correspondent at this season of my life, but I still very much value it. Um, have you, are you a big letter writer, Rachel? Is that something that you've always done or do you do, or do you want to do more of? Uh, I mean, I think I write slightly more letters than the average person in that I write them at all. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do love letters and I love receiving them. I do send them. I uh, like you. I'm more intermittent than I would like. Uh but in particular, I am lucky to have a friend who keeps me active in that uh, sphere because she has joined a convent and I don't have another way of contacting her other than writing letters. Uh, the slight complication is that she can only very infrequently write back. And so whenever I do manage to write her letters, which is much uh, like less than I ought to, when she first went in, I used to write, I can't believe this, monthly letters. And mm. now and now I'm currently, it's on my to-do list to write to her. And I know it's been months. And I know the last letter I sent her was quite like mournful and like, oh, woe is me. And, uh, you know, I've had quite a good time since then. So I really bring better. <laughs> Needs an update, here. yeah. <laughs> She's probably all she's probably, pr- she's probably praying for you so hard right now. She's like, Rachel is still <laughs> really struggling. Right, right. And like, you know, the, then the question is, do you do you reply now or wait for the next time when you're feeling a bit mournful? Right, you're yeah, like, maybe you just wait, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least it's not a contradiction. I have a similar experience because um, my confirmation sponsor, when I became Catholic, also joined a convent. And mm-hmm. it's the same situation where, you know, she can only reply in, uh, you know, certain liturgical seasons and things like that. So um, her her intermittent letter writing I understand but mine yeah not as much of a legitimate excuse but um but I yeah. do value that that is kind of the way we keep in touch absolutely I do find the one slightly technological trick that I have to it though is because I'm not 
necessarily responding to a letter that I've received. I have to, I take photos and like make them into PDFs of the letters that I write because otherwise I will have no memory of what I sent before. I will be like, oh, did I say this already? So yeah, I have to keep sort of records of what I've sent <laughs> just to keep up. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that, uh, comes close to to letter writing that I do very regularly, although as you will see, it's annually, um, is the tradition of of Christmas cards. My family take it quite seriously. Um, But I guess for your listeners, uh, Christmas cards are a slightly different tradition in Ireland than they might be in America. They're not traditionally family photos or anything like that. They are just images with, uh, you know, Christmas images with uh, letter, uh, little bits of writing on the inside. Um, But my family take it very seriously. And my dad has always been like, like, when is the first Christmas card? And he will, he will have it. He wants to be the first Christmas card that arrives. He will have the Christmas cards picked out way in advance. He'll buy them in the sales from the previous years. He has all of the addresses on like little stickers so that he can like stick them onto the envelopes. It's a whole production. So I think in some ways I got a love for receiving mail that way. And I, I've, yeah, I have absolutely kept it up ever since. I love penmanship. I have all of the little, like, I have the little writing, letter writing sets. I've got the wax seal. I've got it all. Now I just need to write. Wax seal. Wow. I need to up my game. My gosh. And I, yeah, like, I, I want to crest. I got to start. Like, we're going to go. Like, let's just go all out here. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a lovely, a lovely artifact to create. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it's funny you actually this is so meant to be because this today actually this afternoon um, we're having our Christmas card photos taken so um, this was like yeah, this was just like meant to be um, because we do do the you know we have family photos mm-hmm. taken and send them out and I actually started um, when when my first daughter was born I started a book you know with um, like I have actually the Christmas card we sent when I was pregnant with her and then I have a book of like her first the first one and then the, you know so it's fun though by, because I put them away I save you know one of our cards I put them away and only bring them out at Christmas time so then it's really fun to like see them again and be like oh wow remember you were so little um this yeah. will be Lucy's first first Christmas card uh out of the womb that is um so yeah I love yeah. I love Christmas cards I love them so much I'm the same way I get this is like the only area of my life that I'm organized in is in Christmas cards in my like <laughs> address book for them and like I'm just so ready for them I don't know what it is about them um and my family also growing up would send out like a Christmas card newsletter um that was sort of funny that my dad would write and yeah I just it's it's so so lovely um and I also have some friends that I have almost solely just we've just written letters over the years that's been the way we keep in touch we hardly ever text um and we just write letters so I love them uh but I know it's, yeah, I guess it's it's a little hipster of us, right? Like, it's like, oh, like, we're so, I also have a record player. So it's like, yep, I'm I'm a type. But I do oh. think there's something legitimate um, my, for my many types of people. It's right beside us as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I had it on while preparing for that episode. <laughs> Rachel just held up a record for me to see. So, but like, look at this. It's like the same. So, <laughs> and record players are also great. Okay, we'll do another episode on that. So, while while you're writing your letters at your desk, you can now have your your vinyl playing in the background. So, we, we're going to need to set the whole scene. Oh, and with your crest and your wax seal too, ideally. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, but what is, what is it that um that you love so much about about receiving letters, um, writing them. Is it the physicality? Is that like, a bi- I know that's a big part of it for me, but I mean, I do sometimes with people send more involved emails or WhatsApp messages or, or memos or something, but there is something about that receiving in the mail and holding the letter in my hand, I think is distinctive. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Uh, I think, you know, we're talking about, and absolutely we can do a full episode on vinyl here, but all of these things I feel like are part of a trend to try and reclaim uh, a tactile experience of the world. 
And I do think that some online things can have similar effects. You know, we were talking about You've Got Mail at the start. And I think what works, and I think it's even something we said in our episode on it, what works about it is, is that it was at a stage of the internet in which you still had some of the, the elements of letter writing, such as like it taking time, it not being constantly available, it being more long form, it being more kind of private, like less done in a sort of social media sort of way that like this at that at that time in the 90s, email writing wasn't such a departure from letter writing than the way that we maybe contact each other on on online now. Um, and so I do think that there are ways in which I get kind of similar experiences, but there is nothing like a letter. I don't think that there's anything that would encourage me to transcribe my thoughts long longhand like that anymore. I'm not really a diary keeper. Um, and I think it honestly, I need the impetus for it to be for somebody else's benefit rather than my own, because I find it quite time consuming. I find it difficult in a lot of ways to just actually put down my thoughts. And even in some ways, like we live in such a performative world now that it's hard for me to not make letter writing or even journal writing performative, even when it is private, even when it is for someone else, that you feel like something about this process now feels like it belongs in a public sphere when really it should be private. And so it can take a lot of effort and energy. It's why it takes me ages. But when you do receive a letter, there's just something so special about it. And it's the same with um, even like when I say I receive lots of cards throughout the year, I, my friends and I, maybe I guess the question is, do you count a letter as it has to be on like a certain size of page or like can a long, long message written inside a card, does that still count as a letter? I keep all of those. I have stacks of them. There is just something about knowing that someone sat down and took the time to tell you these things and that there's something that you can keep, that there's something that you can reflect on that, yeah, that there is a certain amount of love and thought that has gone into this that, you know, however much I love texting my friends, it's it's not the same kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is something about knowing that, you know, somebody far away, maybe somebody you haven't seen in a long time, touched the letter that, uh, mm -hmm. that you sent. Uh, and, you know, even in sort of a sacramental way, we understand the value of like, holding things that somebody, you know, we go visit a pilgrimage site, we say, well, you know, this saint walked here, that's amazing. And there's something that makes that um, sacred. And I think, uh, you know, there's something to that here, too, that there's a physical, uh, like emotional reality that can only come through when in that form, receiving something that you can hold in your hands. And I also think often about um, sort of like leaving a legacy behind in a weird way. This is weird. I think in like memento mori terms a lot, but I'm like, what if I die and everybody clears out all my stuff? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't want everybody to just be like logging onto my email and be like, she subscribed to too many things or like, you know, she had a lot of like sales going on that she was looking after. I don't know. Like, I want like my kids to have, um, you know, photos, um, things that I wrote, uh, like physically and um, letters are a big part of that. Uh, even though obviously the letters I'm sending are, you know, going to friends and things like that. But um, I'm like you in that diaries I've struggled with. I try, I wish I was a diary keeper. I like the idea of it, but it's never really worked well for me. I've tried commonplace notebooks. That's been a little more helpful. Um, but yeah, long form, you know, writing with like, we're so spoiled with typing now. So it's like, it really needs to have a, a reason <laughs> uh, for me to sit down with pen and paper and uh, letters are a great excuse for that. But I was specifically thinking of this, I'm actually looking at it, it's over on our bookshelf over there is this card, this little Alice in Wonderland card that a friend wrote to my grandmother like after a um, lunch they had. And it's like, you know, loved the lunch. Thank you for the John Donne poetry, you know. And then um, like just finding that, even though that's not my grandmother's hand, like it's like now I know something, a little something about her, you know, that I didn't know before. And I can like picture this and it's just really sweet to me. So I sort of picture that in the same way as like, you know, people like ha just having these little mementos of a life that are, um, you know, yeah, something I can, I can put my hands on and, uh, little reminders like that. 
Um, just one thing I want to also mention is that even though we think of letter writing as private, if you think about the way people use used to think about letter writing, I think they did do it for posterity a lot of times. Like, mm -hmm. so if we feel a little like, oh, I'm being too self-conscious about this letter. I mean, the collected, like, you know, if you had grandiose ambitions, you'd say someday they're going to collect my letters. Um, mm -hmm. I think they did. Was, was it Jonathan, Jonathan Saffron Foer or Jonathan Franzen? I can't remember which. I always get them confused for some reason. But he published like his correspondence with Natalie Portman via email. And it just wasn't the same. Like it just, <laughs> it was not the grandiose. It just wasn't. Um, they tried, but um, the collected emails just don't have the same ring, do they? No, not quite. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's just a certain quality to handwriting. And I, you know, I would maybe even make a case for, you know, you were saying about typing and I agree, like, I don't know where I would be without being able to type up everything. But if I'm working through a problem, I'll always work through it longhand first. If I'm trying mm. to get my thoughts out, for me anyway, I find it almost impossible to start with the blank page on the screen. Um, and I actually find a blank page, a physical blank page, a lot less <laughs> intimidating. intimidating yeah. that, there's no blinking cursor, right? Accusing right. you. <laughs> and yeah, so there is something to me about actually taking the space and time to to put pen to paper that actually helps my thought process and helps me think and hopefully maybe translates into something more meaningful in, in writing. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also, just as you were saying with your the the piece that you have that you said not not your grandmother's, but um, I just think a lot about all of the the things like you said in terms of memento mori that used to get left behind that we just don't really have cognates for in the same way. I saw a beautiful and you know here's the irony of it. I saw this on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw a beautiful sketchbook that someone's grand grandparent grandmother I think did on their trip to their holiday and it was just little like silly sketches and it was it, first of all I, it was unbelievably beautiful but she was not this was not someone famous this was not someone well known this is not someone for as far as I know who ever made anything of their ability to draw but it was just a very charming little sketchbook of all of the the different places that they went and the people that they saw uh in these kind of loose sketch styles and you know, that used to be the way that we commemorated ourselves and captured mm -hmm. things and presented them to other people and kept them for posterity and shared them. And yeah, so much of that, I do wonder what it will look like in generations. Like I had a joke with a friend of mine who were, you know, I was being completely serious and he was being completely serious and uh, about saying like, I worry that when I think of like my grandparents and the next generation, will grannies and granddads of the next generations have enough trinkets? Like will the homes <laughs> be full of knickknacks and uh, silly little magnets and whatever it is. Like I was just wondering, you know, do, will we still accumulate things in the same way that most of us are used to going into uh, homes of people of older generations and seeing all of their accumulated mm -hmm. ephemera. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something I totally remember from my grandmother. She had a great collection of little music boxes, you know, just sort of things that you would just love when you were little. Yeah, that were just like totally mm -hmm. magical. And she always would just have some drawer that she would open. It's just like, where did all this come from? But it was so lovely. Um, that's a really good point. Um, and also, we all have like a thousand photos of ourselves, but like, done I mean few I I do try to I actually print a lot of photos but generally speaking like they're all just kind of like abstracted out into the phone into the cloud into the web you know um it's not the same as sort of hauling out the dusty family album and flipping mm -hmm. through it um in the same way and I think that that is a loss I think it's uh I think that we need those physical things and like you say just on a like emotional level working things out like we need the physicality um actually um my husband Chris was <laughs> he was using we have those little like um drawing you know like those I don't know how to describe like drawing things for kids where you draw and then you could like just erase it right away um we got those for like the plane 
and uh we they're really fun to draw and i we enjoy it as well <laughs> um but chris was like practicing his cursive you know which is something we very rarely use these days um and he was just like this is so cathartic and like relaxing to just sit here and like do my letters um mm-hmm. just in like it's it's something about it is just like putting that pen pen to paper or to child toy <laughs> that uh that that sort of yeah. un- loosens up your mind in a way um yeah yeah, it's so funny. even the concept of you saying cursive, which, you know, to I don't know whether it's a generational thing or slightly different countries. I don't quite know what other people my age do, but I actually I don't know. I don't I didn't learn to write with a fountain pen, but it was an early part of my schooling. And I remember, mm. having, you know, it was the cursive writing the like almost almost what people would classify as calligraphy these days, but it was, it was a practical form of writing is, is what I learned and what I still use. And so it's funny how, yeah, I, I find it amazing when people say that they don't use cursive and I'm just like, but that's just writing. <laughs> but you know, oh. it's part of this whole history of, of writing and how people use it and how, mm. yeah, how, how it functions in our day to day. Yeah. Well, I will tell listeners that Rachel and I have exchanged letters before and she has lovely handwriting and mine is like chicken scratch, like just like just jotting, like you can't even see what it is. It's terrible. I have terrible handwriting uh, or or Chris says I either have ter- my like just kind of running handwriting is just like messy or if I'm like trying to write nicely, it looks like a child. So that's just that's just what it is. Well, I love <laughs> it's just I, I'm one of I don't really. I don't really know how to write. In, I write in sort of like fake cursive, you know, where you just kind of, if you're writing fast, you end up connecting a lot of letters, but like, yeah. it's not, it's not proper, like long form. So <laughs> I don't know. I was the type of ner- nerdy teenager and this will hopefully tie in. It's a slightly odd anecdote, but it will tie in with letter writing, which is that I was, uh, I, I was once reading the letters that J.R. Tolkien crafted for his kids for that were from father christmas and uh, they're unbelievably amazing and his penmanship his illustrations like the whole concept of that of like sending those letters and receiving those letters just unbelievably charming to me but he writes his whys in a very kind of like odd way in those and i remember being so struck by it that i then was like but that's how tolkien does his why so i'm going to do my why's like that and i later found out that it absolutely isn't like i think that was just for those particular letters like he wrote his why <laughs> and so i fundamentally changed the way that i write why's <laughs> oh my gosh that is like that's such a like uniquely wonderfully nerdy fact about yourself is that like you write your whys in a specific way not just because Tolkien did it but because he did it in his father Christmas letters <laughs> yeah. oh I love that yeah I, I should look up some like some people I admire and just start trying to write like them so um to get better but um yeah some of my favorite like books to read about people are their books of letters like I love love reading books of letters like the collected letters um in every a lot of people know that I love um Sylvia Plath very fascinated with Sylvia Plath the poet and in college I read her collection letters home which is like all the letters she wrote mostly while she was in school but also afterward um to her mother which some people have now criticized because they say oh she was sort of faking a lot to sort of look good for her mother or whatever but I I don't know. I think that they are great letters and I loved reading them when I was a student and sort of just like receiving them, um, being on the receiving end of people's letters sort of makes you feel like you're in conversation with them. Uh, and there's just something, yeah, there's just something intimate about it, about reading, reading letters, um, collected letters that I, I so enjoy and I think can be a good sort of addition to somebody's biography. If you're interested in somebody, if you can get a hold of their letters, it can sort of open up a whole new side of them. Absolutely. I some of my favorite books are collected letters. And it's something that I always want to spend more time doing. And I always come across whenever I come across a set of collected letters in a bookshop, I'm always kind of just tempted, even though I'm like, there's six collected letters that you haven't finished reading. And, I, you know, I'm a bit of a completist. So I to read a set of collected letters for me means to sit down and start mm-hmm. to finish as if, as if anyone ever intends you to read letters like that. But anyway, that's how I approach it. <laughs> Uh, but I love them. I think some of my favorites are um, The Habit of Being, which is Flannery O'Connor's collected letters. I would almost recommend 
starting with those when you're getting to know her or at the very least there are some collections like I know my I've got the copy of the word on fire um Flannery book which in which they sort of alternate between short stories essays and letters and so they sort of give you a smattering of all of them which I think is actually a really great way to get to know her uh but I just she's if there's something about writers who have great voice and the way that they carry that into their letters and so it is both personal and you get the sort of day-to-day life that they have but also their wisdom but in particular you get all of this in the what I feel like is often the most raw version of their voice that they're not Mm -hmm. trying to tell you a story they're just coming across as themselves and so you just get this amazing insight into the tone and how that actually reflects in their their fiction writing or whatever um yeah it's just to me like we said about performance like I I have such love for these letters that like it makes me feel like I'm on show when I'm writing a letter I'm like I'm never going to be as witty or as funny or as interesting (laughs) as Flannery or Jane Austen or Evelyn Waugh (laughs) you never know you never know life is long and you know we 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 have time to develop our literary wit so (laughs) um but yeah, I totally, I, and I would agree about Flannery is that her letters are, are really great. And I still find myself struggling with her fiction much of the time, as much as I admire it. Uh, it's hard for me to pick up and read, but her letters uh, are, are always accessible and they give, they're great for writers. There's so much good advice for um, being a writer and uh, especially a Catholic writer and how she viewed that uh, sort of vocation. Um but uh, and of course, also outside of the realm of nonfiction, there are plenty of novels uh, written in an epistolary form, which I think is a really, really unique way of approaching fiction. Uh, some some famous examples would be Dracula, uh, the Screw Tape Letters, of course, um, Herzog by Saul Bellow, not as famous, but that's a, that's a very good book, um, and the Guernsey Literary Pota- and Potato Peel Society. I can never Potato Pie Society. I, this is my criticism. Like they should have named this something else. Like I can never say the name of the book or the movie. I just am like that Guernsey book. Yes. So um, it's a great, uh, many of you probably see the, the movie. Um, it's a great book also uh, that is in epistolary form. And I actually think we lose a lot when we don't have it in the epistolary form. Um, but yeah, just a few examples there. Um, but we did want to talk about a specific book, which is, which is a nonfiction book, um, but it's called 84 Charing Cross Road. I tried to find my copy of it before we we started talking but i've uh, oh good rachel has it um but the copy i have actually i got it from thrift books which i'm obsessed with if anybody doesn't use thrift books i recommend it um so it's a used edition and in the inside flap is like a kind of long uh dedication and it's like a, in a letter form like somebody's like dear Anne, like i went to this bookshop looking for something for you and he like quotes something from the letters it's like sort of romantic and i just thought that was so cool and sweet for this um, wonderful little book. But if you're not familiar with it, uh, the basic premise is um, it was it was published in 1970. Uh, do you say her name Helen or Helene? Because it's it's spelled with an E. You know, what's terrible is, is that she definitely corrects them in the in the book. And I can't remember which one it is. I know. I know she does. So it's like, I think she's yeah. I think she's Helene. Yeah, because I think she's like, you know, it's not Helen. So I, th- I think so. So Helene Humph uh, is in New York, in New York City. Um, she's, you know, a writer. And uh, she published this book of her correspondence, a 20-year correspondence she had um, with Frank Dole, who was the chief buyer of Marks and Company antiquarian booksellers in London. And it is the most lovely collection. It is so charming and funny and heartwarming. I read it um, right after Lucy was born when I was sort of bed bound with the baby. I read this and it was it was so uh, perfect and poignant. Um, And it really, I think, speaks to just how how much we can get to know people through letter writing in a really unique way, because Helene and Frank never meet in 20 years. Uh, They talk a lot about visiting and for various reasons, it never happens. Um, But what's also really funny is that through these letters, she kind of gets to know everyone in the bookshop. She gets to know um, like this, his family, and they start sending her things. They like are sending her Christmas pies and all sorts of things like that. Um, And she's sending them these huge uh, portions uh, because they're still, I think, living rationed. And uh, she's sending them like a big Christmas ham to the bookshop and stuff. So it's just lovely. Um, But what what were what were your impressions, initial impressions of the book, Rachel? 
Yeah, it was a book that I had had my eye on for a long time and had wanted to read. And I, I had, you know, I'd seen a particular edition of it and knew I wanted to get that edition because I thought it was pretty. And I finally sat down to read it. I think it was the the first Easter of lockdown, maybe, or the second, I think it was the first. Um, I just remember it because we had gone and managed to procure a whole bunch of flowers in my apartment and it was a sparklingly sunny day and it, my brother was over and we were having a big meal and I had sat down with this book and I, like, you know, I had company over and I could not put it down. I was roaring, laughing, reading it. I was reading bits of it out as soon as I finished it. Every, you know, Phoebe, my flatmate who was listening to this and my brother, they all wanted to read it because we were just laughing hysterically at the book. It was one of those books that I then went and bought as a as a birthday present for everyone that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you said, it is like charming is the word that leaps to mind when I read it. It's so easy and in some ways sort of poignant, like you said, that there's a there's a distance between the two of them. But at the same time, it is just so uplifting and charming and wonderful and shows a real, you know, these these were ordinary people she was a writer as you said but she was writing things like tv scripts it was very much um i don't know you know her own particular feelings of um you know her literary aspirations but she was a jobbing writer it wasn't about being sort of um only an intellectual though the most editions of the book now come with a second part um which is her her diary reflections uh from later on in her life when she she visits um England and that section is called the Duchess of Bloomsbury Street Uh, and she has amazing stuff to say actually about literature in that as well that I've really loved Uh, but she is just an ordinary person and they are ordinary booksellers this isn't part of any sort of intellectual elite and yet a she's extremely well read extremely intelligent and extremely witty but also just so generous that like and you see this network of generosity like you said she's sending over these packages they send her a christmas present of uh, uh irish linen stitched tablecloth and then she immediately wants to write to the late the elderly lady who made it which is frank's neighbor and like there's just this network of love and generosity that immediately springs up around these letters that it's so attractive and so moving to be able to get this snapshot into the lives of ordinary people who are just living them in what is actually quite an extraordinary way yeah and i think um you know, there's always this thought today that I think sort of a big sort of defense of what the internet has brought us. And there's some legitimacy to it. I'm not saying it's not true, but that, you know, we are able to make connections so much more. We can, you know, Rachel and I have never met and she lives in Ireland. And I live in the United States and we've gotten so much out of getting to know each other. And it's lovely that we can do that. And it's via the internet. But I think that it's not that people weren't doing that before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, this is just a different medium that we have. I think things can happen faster now, but, um, and again, this was a 20 year correspondence, uh, but that, this was this was still happening and that the long wait time i mean sometimes they would go a month or two between letters sometimes six months uh you know they kind of fall off their letter writing um and and they would still maintain uh, a sort of intimacy and want to, and closeness and there is a real uh, a real depth of feeling that mm-hmm. is probably much deeper um in many ways than than maybe a relationships that they had uh with people in physical proximity to each other um and I yep. should say that uh, Helene starts writing uh, not she doesn't just start randomly sending letters to this bookshop. She's requesting books. Um, so we get to know a lot about her through the types of books that she's recommending uh, or requesting rather. And uh, they sort of give their insights and they get into sort of debates about, you know, uh, the the viability of certain authors and things like that. So that's all in there, too. So it's just like a literary feast on so many levels. And Helene especially is so funny and she's so witty and she sort of has these sort of zingers against this you kind of picture the sort of classic British um you know uh straight man to her like sort of like um brash New Yorker and it's it's just it's so lovely um and one of the quotes from it that I pulled out was uh from uh, Helene I think she was the one writing this she said people oughtn't to breeze into your life and out again in 10 seconds without leaving a name behind and I think that that speaks to also what we've been talking about, about physicality and leaving things behind. Um, 
and that, you know, we, we're, we're just so rushed now. Everything has to happen so quickly. Um, and I think letter writing demands that it doesn't, which is why it's such a great uh, medium, I think, for developing relationships is actually sort of the irony is that, you know, although you could sit down and send text messages with somebody immediately, that sort of waiting time, all the waiting that is built into letter writing, I think, um, allows for more intimacy and more depth of feeling. I mean, I know personally with friends that I regularly letter write with, there are things I say in letters that I would never just dash off in a text message um, because I kind of, I need the time to sit down, write it out myself. And I also need the time for them to receive it. Like that, that all this time built in allows deep feelings to settle and develop. And I think that that's certainly what we see in the sort of relationship that, that is uh, portrayed in, in this book. A hundred percent. And I think the other thing that really strikes me is the, the postal system and how different it is uh, to ours now. I mean, I always think of, um, they're not a set of letters that I've read and it's certainly not at the top of my list, but I know James Joyce's letters um, the the post used to arrive twice a day, so he could write one in the morning and receive an answer by the afternoon, and like write mm. back. You know these things that it was because it had to be, but we don't have yeah. the same kind of. We're talking about immediacy, but there even within that, there was certainly more to exchange over the post because I think what's interesting is she's writing for these books from England because, and again, it's so interesting how our mentality about things change. As far as I remember from the book, uh, there's not really a market for secondhand books in New York at that time, like the idea of buying secondhand books. And so the only books that she can buy are these quite expensive new copies. And she wants, she doesn't have the money for them. She only has the money for cheap books. And weirdly, it's a lot more economical for her to write to a bookshop in London and have them send her secondhand copies. Yeah. And she talks a lot about it being like, I can't believe this is so cheap. I can't believe that you're, I'm able to buy all of these books. Um, so that's really charming. And equally, then she sends back, like we're saying, um, she sends these these care packages. I'm not quite sure where they're coming from, but I, I can't imagine they're from, I think they're from Europe because they can't be from within England. And I find it quite distressing because I love, I would love to send, you know, in the process of sending Christmas cards, let's say, or birthday cards, um, there's plenty of times when I would love to just be able to send a present uh, with it. And I often end up finding that the only way that it is at all feasible is to just purchase it online and get it sent to them that way, which feels so much more impersonal uh, because I would love to wrap it. That's another thing I love to do. I love to, to take care and wrapping things or if it's a book to inscribe it and all of these extra elements. But we've really limited our ability to do those things the way that now things like customs charges. And like, I understand that all of these things are very complex and part of economies, but you know, it's so easy to purchase things for delivery online. And yet it seems so hard to be able to actually send things yourself to other people that it seems that like there's always like a, a sort of company in the way that that is a much easier or more cost effective route. And it's one thing I always find like I might be willing to take on some of the cost myself, but then it shows up on their doorstep and they've got a custom charge and they have to pay it and they have to tell me whether they've paid it or not and all of these like extra elements. And I think you know, I look at this and I'm so moved at the the ability to just send things off. I once wrote a, I think a 2000 word article about the state of Irish stamps, which again, goes to, to show you my, my personal level of nerdiness. Uh, but I made a joke at one of our Christmas stamps one year, just had the words uh, sending love on it. And I said, sending love, presumably because it's too expensive to send parcels. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah that's a really good point i hadn't thought of it in those terms but it's so true like they're like you know it's all sorts of like bulk items are you know whizzing across mm -hmm. the atlantic here you know in ways that are uh very overwhelming i have i've mentioned before i, I had a series of I always lose 11 au pairs growing up, most of whom I stay in touch with. Uh, and uh, plenty of times they've said, you know, I have to wait till I visit you to bring anything um, or because, you know, I was going to send you this, but I looked at the charge and it's just outrageous, you know, to, to send you this present or whatever. Um, yeah, it's like we've made it very easy for big companies to do things and very hard for your average person to do anything. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's 
certainly reflected in this. Yeah, absolutely. But then, as you said, the other thing that just comes across, which is luckily free, is just her absolute riotous wit. Like, she's so funny. And like, the one of my favorite parts in it, there's just two letters which are sent on the same day. These are the same day. And one of them is to a friend of hers who's in London. And uh, she's asking her to drop in her leftover nylons to the shop so that Frank's wife and, and daughters can have these nylons, which again were rationed. And so she's just taking the time to think, oh, you're leaving London. You probably don't want to bring all of this stuff back. Maybe you could drop in these things. And that like care and attention and thought and like this is a lovely thing to do. And on the same day, she writes to the bookshop and she like the, the address line is just sloth. And then she says, I could rot over here before you'd send me anything to read. I ought to run straight down to Bertrano's, which I would if anything I wanted was in print. And like <laughs> just shouting at them and being, you know, so over the top and so instantly familiar, which I think, like you said, it's this clash of cul cultures. It really takes the the British side a long time to to warm up to something yes. there's one where she just has all caps saying what kind of peeps's diaries do you call this this is not peeps's <laughs> diaries this is some busybody editor's miserable collection of excerpts of peeps's diaries may he rot and like it's so immediate it's so familiar it's so funny and and like that with this level of being so well read and interested in these things and yeah she's just uh, you know as soon as i read it i felt like she was a friend of mine <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I so wanted her to be my friend. It was, it's, it's absolutely lovely. Um, so I would highly recommend this book. Um, and actually if you have read or would like to read, I'm going to the Guernsey literary and potato peel society, um, by Marianne Schaefer and Andy Barrow, they, uh, drew a lot of inspiration from 84 Charing Cross road. And it's a similar premise. If you've seen the movie, you know, that there are letters being exchanged about a book, uh, uh, he, he finds, um, a book of, of Charles Lamb, uh, that she has inscribed and writes to Juliet in London and all things happen after that. But in the book, you really get the sense that she gets to know the whole Island and the community through letters in much the same way that Helene sort of gets to know this bookshop and the employees and the, um, the family in a way, uh, that is just so unique and, um, yeah, it's it char charming is I just keep thinking of that word. It's just it's just charming. It's just it's absolutely lovely. So would recommend that for sure. Uh, one other thing we wanted to touch on um, as we were chatting before we we started recording was uh, Rachel brought up a really good point, which is that we've been talking about the permanency of letters of phys physical things. But I think there's like a real tension today with what with how the internet is is both more permanent and less permanent um we were mm -hmm. just starting to talk about that can you just like t say some of your your thoughts that you were having about that yeah absolutely i was reading um an article called what do, what do letters reveal about the creative mind uh which i don't think actually as i said i don't think it actually answers that question but it had some interesting points um and talking about how, as we've already mentioned, things like collected emails, the collected emails of such a writer might not be as appealing as the collected letters. Uh, and the, the article pointed out, uh, email, already an old fashioned form, isn't really the electronic replacement of the letter, but a different mode of communication entirely. Fleeter, tactile, somehow both more and less disposable. It is unwise to commit too much of oneself to electronic code, which lives on in some ether or another, unflung into the fireplace. And I just think that's really interesting. Maybe there's other people who don't have such reservations that I sometimes do about what I commit to the the internet. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that I a lot of the criticism we that we have for the online experience is that it's so fleeting and that it's so um disposable and, and and readily lost but in in another way it also feels if you think about it in a in, in a different way kind of more permanent in that there it does feel like there's always some database somewhere that keeps your information or that the, that it can't ever be as private as a letter put into somebody's hand and then potentially as as the quote says flung into a fireplace if it really if it really needs to i mean i was just thinking of 
know, the song Burn in, in Hamilton, where she takes all of her letters and, and burns her side of, of, of her experience so that, you know, there is a, a denial of keeping that information. Whereas, you know, I think in some ways it will be a huge mining job to find kind of nuggets of information on the internet going forward. But, but that in many ways, there will be things that are more permanent and less private than we expect. Yeah, that's really true. Um, I mean, there, I actually like when I, uh, I, as listeners know, I'm not on social media anymore at the moment. But uh, like when I graduated college, I just like deleted everything and then like started a new Facebook and everything just because I was like, I think some of these things just need to go into the into the void, I need to like start fresh. Um, And because I mean, but as as we all know, I mean, it probably still exists out there. I'm sure, you know, it's, it's accessible in some way. Um, So I also do think about like, as we're podcasters, you know, I think about a lot how all this could just be um, like lost in like a moment, you know, Um, that, that everything that uh, I make sort of audio wise, I don't have CDs of it. I don't have, um, I don't have a record of it. I don't have vinyl. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's just sort of out into the void um you know and if my podcasting platform crashed at some point like that could be that um so maybe it uh Mm -hmm. instills a healthy amount of detachment uh to 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 some things um but it's 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 a tension with with the online world um and that uh you know they always say to teach your your teenagers and things like that that things live forever online and uh, it feels like it doesn't because it's something you just dash off. Um, and, but we we put a lot of personal information out on the internet, and we also change a lot through the course of our lives, and may want to you know retract some of those things at some point, or just be more private. Um, but those those things um, exist in in a very different way than you know sending to a friend uh, who then like keeps them in her, you know, letter drawer in her desk. That's a very different experience, I think. Um, although there are plenty of, uh, stories throughout history of, of people trying to find incriminating letters and, uh, you know, writing letters in code and things like that, because, uh, you know, getting your, your hands on, on a letter could be, uh, life-changing, uh, life-altering. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a ten- it's a it's a tension for sure. I mean, how do, how do you navigate it? Do you put the, like dis- distinct boundaries on on those things, or think about them differently, um, or is it just something you're all navigating? Uh, navigating definitely. I feel like yeah. I I think where I draw a line is I I don't tend to give my opinion about things, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in writing. Like at the podcasts that I am involved with, um, at least you know, they're about books and they're about literature and about culture. And I think I want to feel like I can stand behind everything that I say on those. And so when it comes to things like, uh, you know, even frivolous things, but, you know, current affairs, those things, I I, I do find a huge reticence to put my opinion down. And, you know, and I think in some ways, as, as much as that means that I have a I live in a sort of fear or like a sense of censorship on myself equally then you see like you said you see tweets coming back to haunt people and you think that this is this is the type of opinion that would have been lost to the sands of time and like you said that maybe the person has changed and grown and evolved and learned but yet still hangs around people because they have put it into a tweet which the whole selling point of a tweet was that it was so ephemeral that it would essentially I know we have things like snapchats which technically do disappear but the idea was that it would be so buried in in the list of of history that it just wouldn't matter what whatever you tweeted and now suddenly these things that don't didn't matter at the time matter a lot now and whether whether or not that that's legitimate or not it's just interesting to think about and yeah whereas yeah, a letter, you know, you can always say that at least the intent of the letter was to be private. Um, and whereas I don't think you have that defense when you post things online, that like, even even your worst moments that you actually capture in a letter were at least intended to be private when they were written. And so I, I do think about this question of privacy a lot that you've mentioned, and, and where this this balance comes in with with letters and then you know the question is well then i keep all of all of the letters i receive maybe maybe the people who sent them wouldn't necessarily want me to but i do like you said it is a different dynamic it's a personal thing that you can keep for yourself and you know 
there's something a lot more sedate about letting someone live out their life and then collecting their letters and publishing them yeah. <laughs> that puts a certain level of distance and, and dignity in the into the process right and i mean also hopefully you know if we were talking about like those works of collected letters like you would see things in context right you would see them sort of at the at, as the sum of a life, you know, going through many phases and iterations, and you could sort of see certain progressions and things like that. Whereas tweets or, um, you know, things sort of posted in a moment online can sort of be taken out of context, um, often are just, you know, one or two sentences, and that can be all people ever know about you. Mm -hmm. And that can be uh, really unfortunate, because it's it's not in context. And it's not, um, it's not necessarily representative of people as a whole. Um, yeah, I always recommend and have tried to do myself to just always sort of resist the temptation to, um, you know, to, to, to get too riled up on any one topic um, to be, you know, because a lot of times, especially with the internet, we don't even have all the information a lot of times. Um, so our reactions can, can seem especially foolish um, or even, you know, totally misguided or dangerous um, in retrospect, but, um, but it lives on and could be pulled out <laughs> as, a represent as a representation of, um, of our beliefs, which they may or may not be. So I think, again, just going back to like the slowness of letters, the um, sort of the demand that they make on you to to take things um to take things slowly to to take the time to write somebody to take the time to send it uh to wait for their response all these things i think are very good for us and maybe especially good for us um modern people who are so inundated uh with so much information all the time i think letter writing can be extremely therapeutic <laughs> um yeah. maybe especially for us like maybe we need it even more than people in the past needed it yeah that sense of waiting for the response is so true because i think that's why maybe even like epistolary novels now are even more exciting for us because it's such a novelty like i think of you mentioned dracula there's so much mm -hmm. tension in that book about when letters will receive and who has information when and uh who like you know will that letter get to that person in time or even you know something like pride and prejudice is not an epistolary novel but so much of the action lies in the sending and receiving of letters and you know it, there is just a real sense of beauty to the kind of drama that letters bring to any situation, which is, like you said, that sense of both committing something to paper and then sending it and waiting for a response. And yeah, that there is maybe something in us that yearns for that kind of communication that gives us both the space to breathe and also the, the sense of excitement or, you know, the, the, just the experience of going through that way of communicating, which was clearly so beneficial to the way that people communicated in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as always, we could just keep talking and talking, but um, we will, we'll, we'll wrap it up for today. Um, I'm in this room where like the windows are above me and the afternoon sun is now like glaring down on me and I'm still sort of rebelliously drinking my hot tea. So uh, that will just, I, it's time to, time to leave this room. Uh, Rachel tells me it's even warmer in Ireland than it is here. So that's yeah. a rarity, but uh <laughs> Um, hopefully what, when you're listening to this, it's nice and cool, whoever, wherever you all are. Yes. So Rachel, where can people find you? Um, where can they follow you online? Um, and then I also want to ask if you have a recommendation for something that is, uh, inspiring wonder in your life. Sure. I, uh, you can uh, listen to my podcast, Risking Enchantment. It's on all of the, uh, podcast apps. You can also find it on my website, which is rachelsherlock.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, as you can guess from what I said about not posting my opinion, I am a lurker rather than a poster on Twitter or mm. X or whatever it's called now. Uh, but my handle is uh, Seeking Watson, and that's the same for Instagram. Uh, and I also have an Instagram for my podcast, which is Risking Enchantment Podcast. And uh, so uh, those are those are the. Um, the main avenues of, of, of finding out about what I, what I have going on. I do some writing as well as podcasting, but um, yeah, podcasting is the, the main avenue where you can uh, 
get get in touch or hear hear what I'm doing. Uh, in terms of what's uh, inspiring me at the moment, uh, we mentioned vinyl, so I might as well uh, say that I have some. I've got some vinyl from a charity shop recently. It's a little bit hit and miss. I was really excited with a copy of The Sound of Music that I got, which is great, except that there's a really big divot in it in um in uh, in the in the uh, the part of the charm, part of the physical experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's on the song I have confidence, which is maybe a little bit ironic. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> uh, I got a couple for my birthday, which was back in August, and I recently got um Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique which has been very fun to listen to recently great great recommendations well thank you so much Rachel for taking the time and I hope that we can talk again soon thanks for having me it's always a pleasure about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing.